Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I'm your host, Monique Hom. And on this show, I interview incredible, badass real estate investing goddesses, women that are crushing it in the real estate investing arena. And our guest is one of the biggest badasses, most amazing of them all, Beth Clifford. I'm so excited to have her here. She has had an incredible amount of experience. She's an entrepreneur, business strategist, a hands-on manager and since 1980. And she possesses a passion for effective, improving operations and executing with excellence and integrity. She was in Wall Street and Fortune 500 companies, and then she got into the development space. And she's going to tell us a little bit more about her story um, she did semiconductor fabrication facilities in the U.S., directing the efforts of over 1,200 workers and delivering projects in record time, multi-billion dollar projects, I believe, with a B. And she's done all different types of real estate. She's been um, premium residential, infill residential. She's earned great American Living Awards for her work, medical offices, retail and office properties, and is currently building the largest resort and residential property in the fastest growing Caribbean destination that uh, we're super excited to have her share more about. She never tires of working with new entrepreneurs and startup companies, and she's an advisor, an angel investor, board member, personal advisors to founders, CEOs, government officials, and all that. And she's the mama of two amazing sons. And I'm so excited to have her here. Welcome back. Hey, how are you, Monty? I'm great. So I met you through the real estate guys. And yeah, it's been so awesome getting to know you. And you've just dropped these profound nuggets that have been life-changing for me. And I'm, I'm super excited to share you with, with the goddesses and the Adonises that are listening, because we have some. <laughs> so let's start from the beginning. How did you get started in real estate investing? I came out of um, Wall Street and technology. So I was, I came, I've had two careers. One was technology-based and starting in the early 80s. And then I decided I wanted to go do something that I've always loved. My grandfather, was a builder. And so I got the building bug probably when I was three or four years old, um, summering with my grandfather and driving around in his, I don't know, 1950 something Chevy to his job sites. And I he used to take me and uh, I would sneak out of the house and instead of taking a nap, I would actually go in my grandpa's truck and he would sneak me out of the house from my grandmother and take me on the job sites. And I would love to go through it. So I think that's where my passion for building and my passion, I've always loved 3D things. If I see a building at studs, I like stop the car and go running in. Like some people would go run in for a uh, Ferragamo sale. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a building at studs. I'm going to go look at it. So I think I've just always been fascinated by it. And I've just always loved it. So in uh, my mid thirties, I made the decision to go try to leverage my technology background and put it into building. And that's when I went into construction management because there's so much technology and operations, which is what I felt like I was very good at doing. And then applying all of that into the industry, which was very novice at for it at that time. And so that's how I got started in it. And I haven't looked back since then. So I just love, as I tell many people, I've sat 
and a lot of the different chairs in a development project, everything from doing the acquisition to being the owner, to being the developer. I've been a general contractor, I've been a subcontractor. So I've seen a lot of the different ways that everything gets put together and feel like I have a pretty broad sense of the real estate market itself and how projects get put together, how people make money on it. So that's my story. How's that sound? That's great. And what I love about your story, and you didn't, you didn't really highlight this as much, but you did not start small. <laughs> you no, got building which is the person that i partnered with because it had the most pressing need which was it needed technology and so when you're building a semiconductor facility and it's a three billion dollar build out and you're going to spend three billion dollars in 15 months then you need to have your stuff put together and it turned out that most of the projects really didn't and they needed technology woefully bad and this was in you know mid 90s just when you know netscape i mean we were just starting to publish some reports on the internet but i mean this was way back you know pre-cell phone eras and you know i'm uh, i'm aging myself at this point but yeah so yeah i started out in one of the five hardest things to go build and that's a semiconductor facility it's amazing you might as well you know the, but the good point of it it's all the same you know it's just zeros at that point. It's the methodology is pretty much the same for construction, regardless of how big the project is. It's yeah. just the number of scopes of work and the complexity of it maybe is a little bit more difficult and the coordination is a little bit more difficult, but the basic parameters that drive that project are the same. If you're going to go do a rehab on a house to go flip a house, it's the same thing. Yeah. I love that. And you were not afraid to just go big because it's yeah, a lot of people have that feeling that if it's a lot bigger, then that means it's that much harder. But it's often not harder to go bigger. It is, but you know that too, Moni, which is the same thing. If you're going to go acquire a single family residence for your portfolio or a 600 unit apartment building, you're going to go through the same process and methodology, correct? Yeah, pretty much. So why not go big? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same deal, right? I mean, you're going to go through the same process. Yeah, yeah. you've got to go do due diligence for 600 rooms or whatever else, it's whatever. But, you know, the process that you're going to go through is pretty much the same. Yeah. So think about scale, right? I think it's, I always do that, which is, you know, scale works. You know, size does matter. Scale yeah. can work in your advantage. Anyways. Yeah, so if you're going to be taking the time to do it, might as well do it. Do it. Can. Yeah. Might as well make it. Yep. Go ahead. Probably a little bit more abundant to be working on a $3 billion deal than, mm -hmm. a, you know, a $100,000 flip house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it means you need more partners, correct? And you've got yep. a lot more moving carts that are going on, but still pretty much the same. Amazing. So now you are in the process of doing an amazing project in Belize, Mahat. Mm -hmm. Bay Resort, uh, right. Bay Village. So tell us about that, which I'm super excited about. We're doing a retreat there. In I know. You're coming down in a few months, right? Yeah, yeah I can't wait. <laughs> so, I can't wait to have you on property. 
haven't been there since it's become, you know, a Hilton. So Yeah, no, it's a Hilton and we're slammed. My gosh, we were at, I don't know, we just had a big weekend, Memorial Day weekend. We just had a big weekend. We were like 95% occupied. We just had a big weekend. But anyways, um, so what would you like me to tell you about? Just how yeah, that started? Yeah, how'd, how'd you get started and what's yeah. the process been like? Yeah, so started, you know, it really came about looking for what I would call, like, I, I think as a developer, you look at your portfolio, or I've always looked at my portfolio as a developer of having singles, doubles, triples, and home runs, you know? And so there's a lot of projects that are shorter in term, and um, and then there's longer term projects, if that makes, does that make sense? Yeah. And so I have been, and in the last 10 years, I've been doing a lot of Singles and doubles, particularly from the time of the economic meltdown in the mid 2000s through the last 10 to 12 years. And so it's doing a lot of value based um, projects, buying things at discounts, entitling them, creating new infill projects, et cetera. And those are type of projects to be singles and doubles are projects that you can get in and out of within about a three year window. And hopefully, you, because of the three-year window, you're not going to be in the middle of business cycles and things like that. So they're pretty contained. They're pretty understood that, you know, they're, they're lower risk than a longer-term project was. And so while I was doing all of that, I was also looking for a home-run project. And a home-run project usually would have a higher potential rate of return and could look at a 10 to 20-year horizon for the entire project. And so I like to look at having that blend in my development so that I've got a little bit of everything going on. So making a long story short, when I started to look at where I want to go develop, that would be a legacy. I wanted to go develop in an asset class that had a high rate of return and hospitality has a very high rate of return compared to different asset classes. Two, I was looking for something outside of the United States for potential tax benefits. So was looking for outside. And three, um, with everything, it's always about market, market, market. And so, you know, if you can, as it was to build a buy and hold asset for cash, but at the same time to look for a property or excuse me, to look for a market that was going to pop. And so then we would have an appreciation play as well. And so long story, but two years of research, we finally found Belize. And future, you know, now looking backwards, it is now the highest, it's the fastest growing travel destination in North America, Caribbean is Belize. And so it's one of those few times and now I'm gonna knock on wood because we actually, <laughs> we picked a market right, but it, that doesn't always happen. What's this? Total home run. Yeah, so it did. And so, you know, and so it started off, you know, it's a, started off as a more meager idea and then it's kept growing and people, um, it attracted a lot of investors, which attracted a lot of sales and it attracted a lot of partners and Hilton and everything else. And so now we're, you know, open, we've got 125 rooms open. We've been open for a year and a half. Um, we passed positive cash flow in our 11th month of operation, which is pretty much unheard of in the hotel industry. Um, but, you know, nothing's easy, right? So you keep moving on, keep working. Yeah, amazing. So yeah. describe a bit what Mahogany Bay Village is like, because it's not just a typical resort, right? No, it's, that's a great question. So it's really built on three pillars. 
It's built on the Hilton Resort part. It's built on lifestyle residences where people can have a may have a higher rate of personal use for them from anywhere from they may be snowbirds and come down and live in them for three or six months or full-time residents. So there's a whole longer term residence um, part of the property. And then there's a downtown retail. So it's an urbanism property. So it's about creating a townlet, creating a village, creating a place. It's a walkable destination. So we've got 11 different retailers and services that are available. And it's really about creating a collaboration is because I, as a developer, I am not very good at many things. And so I don't know how to run a spa. I don't know how to do a yoga studio. I don't, I don't, I'm not a sushi chef. And so the best thing that I can do as a developer is to create spaces and to lease them out to people who are best in class, who can offer services and food and beverage offerings that would delight our guests. Yeah. It's an incredible place. Yep, thank um, you. So your husband, Dennis, is yes. there. He's working on this project too. But you're going to be one of our speakers at the uh, Real Estate Investor Soulmates Retreat, which is all right. about doing real estate, you know, and with your partner. So tell us what it's like to work with, with Dennis. Yeah, it's great. So, well, a couple of things, and just for some clarity, which is my husband's not my partner in the property, that I started the property before I even met my husband and we got married. And so the property, I own the companies and my senior management team, we needed to hire somebody to come in who had experience of opening resorts. And my senior management team came to me and we all knew we needed to have this critical hire. And they got me into a meeting and they said, we found the candidate. And I'm like, great, who is it? And they said, it's your husband. <laughs> I was like, oh no, 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 no. But anyways, he was absolutely a great candidate for number one. He worked with a couple of people who were on my executive or my executive team. So he had, you know, working experience, but two, he had come out of opening for Disney and had worked for the Walt Disney company for a number of years and helped with the opening of uh, many of their resorts as well, including the Disney in Paris. And so he had done it. So he had the cred to go do it. So yeah, so he came on and helped us open the property and you know, it's great working with your husband. It, there's challenges with it as well. And so yeah. you want me to speak a little bit about it? Yeah, that, let's talk about it because you know, a lot of times we're, you know, when you're working with your spouse, it will be like equal partners. Yeah. So in this context, you're the boss. So has and I feel very, you know, I don't want to diminish him in any way, but but truly I am the boss, right? So yeah. he was brought on and he I was the boss. Um, so we created this safe place where wherever there was difficult discussions that need to be made, that we created a safe way that we could always have communications. And so most of the time, 95% of the time, everything would go honky-dory, right? And so yeah. no issues, part of the team, nothing. But there were times where either things weren't meeting what we thought we were supposed to go do or more than we could have or whatever else. And so, you know, we just found this really way to always step aside couch and put boundaries around the relation, around the conversation. This is a business conversation that we're going to have until we stop having this business conversation. And then it's going to be the end of a business conversation. And then 
will process as people afterwards. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. So when you're doing that, you pre-frame the conversation. Yep. Okay, we're gonna, I'm putting on my, you know, <laughs> yeah, like the, oh, the hat, you're, you're this, you know, we're putting on those hats. We're having this conversation, this box right now, just about this. And then, then so how does it? Then we close the box. And then it's like, that is, it's not personal. It has nothing to do with our relationship. It doesn't diminish. And this is him talking to me as well. Whereas if he thinks I'm doing, this is bilateral. This isn't, yeah. you know, this isn't me to him. This is him saying, Beth, I think you're not doing the best you could, or I think I need to improve. Whatever it is, we take yeah. the personal out of it, and we take the relationship out of it, and we contain it and put the box in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then afterwards, we open the conversation up to say, is there anything personal we now need to feel like there's something that we need to discuss? Or can we keep that conversation in the box? Yeah. And move on. That's so brilliant. That's so good. I and think if And if we can't, we go back through it again. And it's like, well, you know, I think the way that you said that to me, it sounded a little, you know, judgmental or it sounded like you were demeaning me or whatever. The, the personality pieces come into it. Mm -hmm. And then that helps us learn about how we talk within the box. So good. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that's so great yeah because you know there's nothing clean you know, he, there's nothing that yeah nothing we don't i don't ever want to put my relationship at jeopardy over business yeah but that's number one that's great. So you have the right priorities. So you know what most the most important is our love for one another. And right. then this comes second, but we do have to have difficult conversations within this, yeah. you know, sometimes. And, and but let's I told you to call this person back and you didn't call them back and we're all waiting. And so I've yeah. got to have that conversation with you in a way that's more difficult than it would be with somebody who may be a direct report, correct? Yeah. Because we have a personal relationship, correct? And so it's like, no, I expect you to get it done. And how are you going to get it done? And how can we hold each other accountable? So that still needs to be done, but it needs to be done in a way that protects the relationship. So I would imagine, I mean, that this is actually could strengthen your relationship and your trust. And you it know, does. yeah, it does. it's actually a real benefit because I mean, I treasure my husband, and every day I treasure him even more. And I think working together has built a greater bond between the two of us. Mm -hmm. And it's built better communication between the two of us. Yeah. Because we're able to work through difficulties, whether personal and or business together, and yeah. we successfully keep moving through them. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And that, yeah, ultimately that's what it's about. So if you can do it with real cleanliness and you know and clarity yeah um intentionality yep. then it, it is something that can strengthen your bond and which yep. is yeah what the retreat's all about and i'm so happy to be there <laughs> so what advice do you have for working with a spouse i mean i you've already kind of given a brilliant example but do you have other advice for I just, th I think what you said was very good, which is um, 
be clear about the roles each person has and be honorable to each other, you know, I mean, just be, you know, and definitely, you know, I do, I do the 10 second rule, which sometimes turns into the one day rule where, you know, when things aren't going just like you want, it's like, it's everything. It's even more with your spouse to make sure that you don't react and uh, you're thoughtful. And so emotions, unfortunately, emotions come into our business many times and even, and even more so, I think you've got to do, if it's 10 seconds that you do with a partner, I mean, like a vendor or an employee that you think and you, you know, you take 10 breaths or whatever you go do, correct? To protect, I, I think you should multiply it by two for your spouse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So think carefully and yep. remember what's important. You remember what's important. Agreed. Yeah. And I think you gave such a great example. It was one of the big challenges I think a lot of people have is they tend to throw in all this other stuff. You know, right. something comes up about work and now all of a sudden we're, this is an argument about what happened with the kids or who's doing no, it. No, no, no. That's, <laughs> the, that's the whole thing with this like, hey, I told you, I asked you to call Joe back and, and arrange for the nails to get here and you didn't, doesn't now allow you to also add in. And oh, by the way, I asked you to empty the dishwasher. Yeah. And then you never, <laughs> you never do what I asked you. You never empty the dishwasher when I empty, you know. And so that's not a license to bring that in, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But that's, but I think that's the, probably the main pitfall for most people. So you just get really sloppy with the communication. They get sloppy between the business and the personal, and then it gets really ugly. Yeah. So, oh God, this is such a great conversation. Switching gears a little bit, and this is a question that I always ask because I find that we learn so much more from our mistakes and when things don't go well than yeah. when they do. So what would you what would you say was your biggest mistake in your real estate investing career? What did you learn from it? If from investment, I'll, I'll answer two ways. From investment, um, there's only been one or two times where I've either raised money and haven't been able to get 100% capital back to me, only once. And that time was when the market turned. And so it's a strong, strong, you may believe the market, but if the market turns on you and if you're not fast enough and agile enough, but I wasn't agile enough to get out fast enough. And so we had a, my investors had a 12% haircut on capital. Nobody likes that. Now, most people though, if you've been doing the business for, 20 years and you've only had one project and you only had one investor haircut, that's probably not bad. That's an A plus plus. But regardless, nobody likes it. Right? Yeah. Nobody likes it. And no investor wants to go do it. So I think a lot of it is about market. It's certainly, I mean, that was one that certainly is out to mine. Yeah. Um, what did you learn from that? What would you do differently? I was over optimistic on the market and had not factored in the government. And it was basically the reason we got late was because of a year of government stuff. And so entitlements and everything else. And so, you know, it's, you have to temper all, you got to bring out every risk in the middle of it. 
And so what happens if the government slows you down by a year or a year and a half? Yeah. Is we're not going to entitle that or whatever. So, you know, and, or it takes a delay. You just got to temper that. Okay. Yeah, everything's going to, as they, as they always say, um, they used to say it in technology development, um, all project plans are going to be twice as long and twice as expensive as originally planned. So everything's going to be a 4X. Now, yeah. That's always true with real estate, but you've got to always look at your performance that way. Yeah. And then that's I think my biggest learning, I would say just my, my personal development, and I think this is true for so many, which is not just real estate developing money, but my strength is I'm an eternal optimist and I believe people will do their best. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what my glass looks like. Yeah. That is my weakness. <laughs> and I believe that this is true with so many people. Your strength is your weakness. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and it's your strength, right? It's like what? <laughs> And then I do, I have so much faith in so many people and I have faith that people will get their job done and that people are diligent and that people behave and look at things similar to the way I look at things and blah, 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 blah. And I've been told by many people, they said, you just, you have too much faith in people mm -hmm. and you don't, you need to have less and you have to, you have to more tightly manage people. So that's probably my biggest and that's one of my bigger learning things right now is very much, I don't like being a micromanager. I like being more of a founder than I am a day-to-day -day operations management person. Um, but, you know, just holding people to higher levels of accountability. Yeah, that's good. Yep. I'm a truster, too. And <laughs> I like how you say that. You're a truster. That's a great way. I'm a truster. Cheers to the trusters of the world. <laughs> I trust you. And I have faith in most people. Um, and but I I have found that generally people will live up to what you expect of them. I agree with that. Yeah. And there's always outliers. And I just, you know, I live my life that way. I mean, I don't lock my doors at night. The keys to my car are actually in my car. It's <laughs> I'm not telling you where I live right now, but <laughs> but I mean I'm just a truster and I, I really believe that you know if anybody wants to steal something from you, they can steal it from you, you know. Yeah. Locks only keep the honest people out of your house. And so, and I just refuse to live my life to barricade myself from people or to shelter myself from the 4% of the world that really is malicious. Yeah, I agree. So it's <laughs> always good to help people, give them like no fail systems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just refuse to treat the other 96 the way that you treat the other four because yeah. the 96, you know what I'm saying? I think that seems disingenuous to me. Right. Well, so you were brought this up in the context of a mistake. So <laughs> no, and I, maybe it isn't a mistake, but maybe I'm saying, yeah, so I'll, I'll change that, which is that's my growth right now. And there yeah. are a few people that I did trust too long and should have held them accountable quicker than I did. Yeah. Like yeah. when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Type yep. What did you say that? I want to hear that. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. <laughs> well said. Agreed. I, I right. can't answer my Angelou. I can't quote that. I can't claim yeah. that. Yeah. Really. <laughs> but, Is that well, that's a great one, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when they you yeah. trust and then until there's reason not to. Yep. And then you're like, yeah. oh. yep. 
So to what do you attribute your success? Because you've had an incredible amount of success in your career. You know, like you have uh, 20 years, you have one haircut. That's pretty amazing. So what do you attribute your success? Um, I think a lot about my background and uh, I'm like, a, I was born in Maine and we're frugal people. Like the, the land and the people I come from, we're very frugal humble people and hard workers and that is really what and and you can't get by alone in Maine like it's like you know there's so you know I mean like you have to be part of a community to you know it's not like we're it's not like we're out here fighting the Indians or something up here but I mean it's a it's a culture that I grew up in which was it, it honored hard work it honored education it honored all people around around us. Um, so I think it's been grit and respect for other people and having having the belief that every person has something that they can add to you and that each person has worth. And my goal is to engage with every person and find out what they can, what I can learn from them and what I can assist them with. And so I think it's basically kind of, it's an ethos. Does that make sense more than anything else? Yeah. It's, it's believing in win-win. I'm a win-win person. Like you said, I'm a truster. Now I know I'm a truster. <laughs> I'm a win-win person. I'm a hard worker. Beautiful. You know? Um, that's great. And, 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 and you have humility about it, you know? And I think that's always, when I see people... And I know I've seen it with myself when you go from humility to hubris. And when I sometimes see it on Facebook where I see people are bridging over to hubris, it always makes me, I get, makes me nervous. Mm. You know? Yeah. We're all susceptible to the fall. Indeed. So the humility, the hard work. The generosity, the being yeah. grateful for everybody, you know? So good. So yep. good. One last question before we go into our famed end of show Trinity, which is a brag, <laughs> gratitude. And a I like that. Um, so, well, two questions. One was, what do you wish you'd known at the beginning that you now know? It's a lot harder than it looks. And I think it's gotten harder. I mean, I'm, I just turned 60. And I think there are no layups anymore. And so I think there was a lot of, as the internet and as technology expands, as the ability for people to have almost all the same access to finite knowledge, the ability to find disparity in markets is, becomes more and more difficult to go do. The margins become narrower. So maybe that's more prediction than you may have asked before. But I mean, I think it's like, you're going to have to work harder and harder and nothing is easy. Okay. Is that, you don't like that? Well, it is hard work. It's not a, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's a get rich quick. It's not a get rich quick uh, journey. No. <laughs> um, so there, there are easier, there are easier and harder ways to do this, right? So, I mean, you can, you can invest passively that's about the easiest thing you can do and then there's you know very to i don't know developing a multi-billion dollar <laughs> you know, like 
international resort with built different businesses and all of that, which is a, a kind of a different order of complexity and challenge what you're up to. And so there are, you know, there's a lot of different ways to be in this business, but they all require education. They all require teamwork. They all require mm -hmm. like, learning and it's not always easy for sure. There isn't. Yeah. Yep. Are you ready for your last question? Yeah. Which was, what's the, what's the best way for people to reach you to find out more about what you do? Maybe Mahogany Bay. Yeah. I'm Beth at Mahogany Bay Village. So people can absolutely send me an email. Okay. Beth at mahoganybayvillage.com. So they can reach me, get in touch with me that way. Is that okay? That's great. So generous. Thank you. I'm not giving you my address because you'll know my cars are unlocked. <laughs> He's <laughs> already being generous enough. <laughs> Go ahead. So now it's time for the Trinity. So what's one brag? What are you celebrating right now? One of my sons has had a illness for a long period of time and he's doing better. And so that's what I'm celebrating right now. That's that's a great celebration. But it's not quite a brag. So a brag is kind of oh, you want me to do a brag? I want you to do a brag. Oh, okay. That's a celebration. But I, but I do celebrate your son. Okay, so but I uh, oh for me. So yeah, well sorry. <laughs> it's all right. I um yeah, I, I celebrate that uh, we got a we got the biggest hotel built in the country of Belize. We opened it, we attracted the first major brand, and we broke even in eleven months. So well bragged. Oh my gosh. You guys have no idea how big the brag that is. It's amazing. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that there isn't a list this long of things that we need to of do. Of course, but that you that's, you need to brag that amazing yeah. what you created there. But that's is, a milestone, right? To, yeah, that's huge. Huh? So so needing to be bragged. So yes. so well bragged. So um, brag and what is one thing that you're grateful for? You know, this will sound very trite, you know, probably. I am grateful for my team, my team members. You know, our team has moved to this place where we're becoming like a family. We really care for each other. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate births. We cry when people have deaths. We move people up and back. And so I really celebrate being part of a family of team members that we're doing life with and that Working together down in Belize, it's more than a job. It's a career and an opportunity to move people forward in what they want to go do in their life. Mm. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful. That's huh? great. That's awesome. I am. And like yeah. I'm grateful. Like I've been I haven't been in Belize for two weeks. And a lot of the people who are team members are friends of mine on Facebook and they'll like message me and they're like, Hey Miss Beth, we haven't seen you for a couple of weeks. Are you okay? You're like are you in the hospital? <laughs> no, I'm just doing business in the United States. And they're like, oh, okay, great. We're just working where we work. Like there's this care about people. You know what I mean? I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And what is one thing you desire? I desire? Mm -hmm. I desire, as well, this is the antithesis of that. I desire one month break with no, I don't get 400 emails a day. I really, no, I desire getting to that place where I can um, 
turn over more and more of my day to day. Yeah. And not and not have 400 emails, Slack, Zooms, WhatsApps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the 400 ways that they can get in touch with you, right? So that's what I desire. You desire some freedom. Okay. <laughs> I've, yeah, I've been on the grind for six and a half years. Yeah. 70 to 90 hours a week. It's a long time. It's a long time. It's a hopefully long time. You're, hopefully you're close. close to I am close. I am. So, I mean, I, I am. And so that's a, and that's an active project. Like you, things that you desire, you have to plan for. Like they, yeah. it's not like I'm scratching lottery tickets up here. <laughs> no. <laughs> Correct? Yeah. Well, so shall your desire be or so much better than you can imagine. What's this? Say it again. So shall your desire be or so much better than you can imagine. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you. So good to see you. You too. I can't wait to see you in July. Yes. Um, if you guys are ladies, gentlemen are interested, we're going to be having a real estate investor soulmates retreat in beautiful Ambergris, Belize in the Mahogany Bay Village. Beth will be there speaking Absolutely. more about working in partnership and just working with your spouse and how to do that in a brilliant way. And, um, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So you can go to tinyurl.com forward slash REI soulmates to find out more. Great. Okay. So thank you. And we'll see you next time for another Real Estate Investor got us interview. You bet. Bye. Bye.